With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to episode 32 of the Hockey News on the Dub podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Carol Schramm here with Adam Kersenblatt, and Draft Week is here. So we will be wrapping up our WHL Draft Preview Series with a look at the forwards this week, including uh, one guy we can't really leave out whose draft position isn't really in doubt. Uh, he still warrants a mention. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute as we talk about the showing for the WHLers at the NHL Awards also, as well as winning the Calder Cup and being named to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, first off, though, we've got headlines and a big news bomb dropping from the WHL's annual general meeting last week as longtime Commissioner Ron Robison announced that he is one year away from retirement. Yes, so uh, Ron Rob, uh, Robson, uh, he has been the commissioner since uh, the 2000-2001 season. So 24 years is the longest uh, in the WHO history for a commissioner. Um, under his management, he saw the league grow from 18 to 22 teams with uh, the biggest development in the WHO coming in the West, where we saw Everett, Victoria, um, which became which came from the Chilliwack Bruins and the Vancouver Giants, part of their big expansion over the last uh, 24 years. Yeah, now we've seen Wenatchee come back to the West as well after that was the Kootenai ice from the eastern part of BC going all the way to Winnipeg and now going back to central Washington. Um, it certainly a, seems like a good time for Robison to announce his exit with the league producing one of its best ever draft classes this year. Um, according to the, the WHL's annual, annual general meeting, 54 WHL players uh, landed on the NHL Central Scouting final rankings list List, including 12 among the top 32 North American skaters, as well as two goalies in the top five. And uh, those 22 teams now make the uh, the dub the largest major junior league in the world and cover a lot of geography as well. Um, and the other th thing I found interesting from the notes from the meeting, of course, is that uh, with the help of Connor Bedard selling out everywhere he played for the second half of the season, uh, attendance in the WHL rebounded to pre-COVID levels in the 2022 to 23 season that was up 22 percent from one year earlier and the playoff attendance was up 37 percent from one year earlier um these executive retirements are a little bit of a trend now in canadian hockey because we saw uh mario Ciccini take over from outgoing commissioner Gilles Courteau in early May in the QMJHL, and Courteau had been in that spot for 37 years. Um, David Branch is still in place at the OHL, and he's been there since 1979, so that's 40 some odd years. Um, but he was also at the helm of the CHL as well and stepped down from that position in 2019. So uh, um, Robison will be in his position for one more year, and we have yet to hear who the successor will be, so that'll be something to watch out for. Uh, next Next up, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame announcement last week, and we had a uh, pair of guys with WHL roots who uh, got the call to the hall. 
Yeah, so we'll start off on the uh, player side with uh, goaltender Mike Vernon, who played uh, three seasons in the WHL with the Calgary Wranglers and Portland Winterhawks. So two-time WHL goaltender of the year and player of the year from uh, 1981 to 83 with the Wranglers. Now, this was an interesting story because although he played his entire career with the Wranglers, he did attend the Memorial Cup in back-to-back years with Portland because at that time uh, in 1982 and 83, teams could bring on a goaltender that was already eliminated from the playoffs to join their playoff run. So he won the cup in 1983 with the Portland Winterhawks without playing a regular season game with them, which is uh, something you don't usually hear uh, very often. And uh, during the 2015-16 season, he was named the number uh, 31 among the top 50 WHL players of all time. Yeah, no, because the resumes, obviously, for these Hall of Famers are massive, we are just focusing on their WHL accomplishments here. Uh, you can go uh, to the Hockey Hall of Fame website or any number of other places if you want to uh, hear more about Mike Vernon's Stanley Cup accomplishments and all uh, his years with the Flames, especially. I think of him as a, as a Calgary guy, although he also had success in Detroit later on in his career as well. Um, Ken Hitchcock is the, uh, the other name that uh, was honored by the Hockey Hall of Fame in the builders category. And uh, that his WHL time dates back to the Kamloops Blazers in the mid eighties, which was his first pro coaching gig after uh, working in the junior ranks in Sherwood Park, Alberta. Yeah, so Ken Hitchcock was one of the most successful head coaches in WHL history. 291 wins in the six seasons behind the bench in Kamloops, uh, WHL coach of the year in 1987 and 1990. Uh, led the Blazers to WHO championships in 86 and uh, 1990, collecting five West Division titles during uh, his time as coach. And during that, uh, during that span, he coached uh, some pretty uh, notable names in Hockey Hall of Famers Mark Recchi and Scott Niedermeyer, as well as Stanley Cup champions Daryl Sador and uh, Craig Berube. And of course, all that Blazers history was front and center at Memorial Cup earlier this month. And uh, those Blazers ties continue to run very deep for uh, for Recky and Sidor, who are both part of the uh, Kamloops Blazers or, uh, ownership group. So uh, congratulations to both Vernon and Hitchcock as two of the seven honored members that will be inducted into uh, the class of 2023 20 at the Hockey Hall of Fame this November. Uh, next up, uh, they didn't give us much opportunity to digest because it only happened about a half hour before we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon. But the uh, WHL did release its 2023-2024 schedule here on Tuesday. Yeah, so 68 game schedule as expected. Um, start date will be Friday, September 22nd, and it will run till Sunday, March 24th. So this season, the Central Division will visit the BC Division. Uh, while the um, so sorry, yeah, the Central Division will visit the BC Division, and basically how this works is that uh, it kind of works as the old NHL schedule going. So teams and organizations get to see uh, teams in the other conference every two seasons. So last year, the how it worked is the East Division visited the BC Division. So this year, the BC Division uh, will visit the East Division, while the U.S. division will host the East division this year, which uh, I know that some people in the uh, U.S. division were unhappy because they didn't get to see uh, Connor Bedard last year. Um, but there are plenty of prospects that we'll even talk about a little bit later on in that uh, East division that people in you know Portland, Seattle, Spokane, et cetera, can get uh, very excited about. 
And uh, our first game for the Wenatchee Wild, it's going to be a home game against uh, now division rival, the Portland Winterhawks on September 22nd. Uh, we will have some divisional realignment this year with uh, with Winnipeg moving to Wenatchee, and then there will be more alignment in the 2024-25 season. Um, Swift Current is staying in the Central Division for now, but we'll move to the East um, in one year's time. And when that happens, all the Alberta teams will be in the Central, and all the Saskatchewan and Manitoba teams will be together in the East. So uh, hopefully that all makes a little bit of sense. We got the, the WHL start, season starts so early, but we got a little bit of time to get it all figured out before it gets underway. Uh, now we wanted to quickly touch on the Calder Cup final, which was uh, about to happen when we recorded last week and uh, overcoming an 0-2 deficit, the uh, Hershey Bears uh, came back in game seven overtime to win their 12th Calder Cup, defeating the uh, first year expansion Coachella Valley Firebirds. Yeah, it was an exciting game. I remember I, I watched that game. Um, nothing like a game seven overtime uh, clinching goal uh, to really just, it's the peak of excitement really in the hockey world, I feel like. So we did talk about Hershey uh, last week because Washington was our team of the week. So if you want a full list of the players with WHO connections, make sure to check our last episode. But some of those players include uh, Rocket Kelowna Rockets defenseman Lucas Johansson, as well as uh, Moose Jaw Warriors defenseman and Hershey Bears captain Dylan uh, McElroth. McElroth. Um, McElroth. McElroth. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there were also some uh, WHO connections on the coaching side in head coach Todd Nelson, uh, who played for Prince Albert from 1985 to 86 uh, to the 1989-90 season, as well as assistant coach uh, Patrick Weller, who played for Portland and Calgary in the early 2000s. I'm really curious to see how this um, Hershey win is going to impact the Washington Capitals next season um, with uh, the changes that are happening with young Spencer Carberry behind the bench as the new head coach. I feel like there's going to be a really natural flow to um, opening the doors to some of the younger players on the farm uh, to get more of an opportunity, even while Washington is still trying to pursue that goals record for Alex Ovechkin. I think there's going to be a real transition there in the, in the caps and they're going to be a team that it's funny they were a team that I was really not interested in at all this season but I'm really curious to see what's going to happen next year because I'm hoping for their sake that this is going to sort of uh, be a jolt for them and that some of that exciting young energy is actually going to really push them forward and we'll see um, some of those players that did well with the with the Bears taking things to the next level. Um, I also wanted to shout out uh, Cole Lind another former uh, WHLer. Uh, he was on the losing side with Coachella Valley, but he did lead the AHL playoffs in scoring with 31 points in 26 games. Um, it has taken him a while to sort of get to this level. He's turning 25 this fall already. It feels like just yesterday that that draft happened. Uh, I do wonder if the Kraken are going to give him a look this fall as he spends all, spent all of this season um, in the minors with Valley, but uh, Seattle's bringing back most of its players, so I, I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of room on the roster for, for guys to move up, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, now we want to quickly touch on trades. There's so much happening this week, uh, and WHL guys involved. We had a former, former Portland winner, Hawk Ryan Johansson, brother of Lucas Johansson, traded from Nashville to Colorado earlier this weekend uh, in exchange for Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah, so... Um... 
Ryan, Ryan Johansson uh, turns 31 in July and carries an $8 million cap hit, but because of how the trade works, Nashville is going to retain 50% of that deal. So his career with the Predators, he played over 530 games, scoring 110 goals and recording 362 points. And uh, his big moment was during that 2017 run to the Stanley Cup final that Nashville had. But unfortunately, if people remember, he was knocked out in that Anaheim series uh, due to a pretty significant lower body injury. Uh, and he's been injured at the end of this season as well. Um, I believe it was a game against the Canucks that he got hurt and had a uh, ankle tendon injury that required surgery. So he missed uh, the last almost 30 games, I think, of the season. But from what I was reading when the trade was announced, people are expecting him to be okay for training camp this fall. Uh, it's a little bit of a risk for Colorado, but uh, they need more skilled depth up front with Gabriel Landeskog expected to miss another full season. And uh, they shipped out another one of their skilled forwards who uh, didn't play in the dub, but did uh, did play in the VCHL before he was drafted. Yeah, so um, Alex Newhook was uh, moved uh, to the Montreal Canadiens, and the WHO connection in that deal is that the Colorado Avalanche will be getting defenseman uh, Gianni uh, Fairbrother, who was a former Everett Silvertips, played 160 games with the franchise and was the captain of the 2020-2021 Everett Silvertips team. And uh, in that deal as well, Colorado gets the 31st and 37th overall picks. So plenty of opportunity for that to become a bigger WHL trade uh, after the draft that is set for tomorrow uh, based off our recording. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, Monday night was the NHL Awards, and we saw some representation from the WHL on that front as well. Um, probably most notably, um, Michael Backlund taking home the King Clancy Award and giving an amazing speech. Yeah, so uh, former Kelowna Rocket Center Michael Backlund uh, took home the King, King Clancy Award. Um, his connection to the WHL was short, but he made a pretty big impact helping the Kelowna Rockets to the Memorial Cup in the 2008-2009 season. So his um, award was won for his work with the ALS Society of Alberta, the Kids Cancer Care, and uh, Special Olympics Calgary. And yeah, I agree. There were some pretty good speeches last night. Michael Backlund was definitely very close to the top, if not at the top. Yeah, um, Backlund really, really moved me. Jim Montgomery's speech was really impactful, and uh, and, and Chris Letang really got to me as well. So uh, they they did all the job. Oh, and 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 the McDavid thing at the end too, when he won the heart, and Ben Stelter's family came out. Like they really brought the feels in this year's award ceremonies. So uh, kudos to the organizers for uh, you know really getting some a, a lot of heart into this as well. You know beyond just sort of the mechanics that we often see of saying who's the best and who's the worst. Um, I don't remember them ever giving out the E.J. McGuire Award in the ceremony itself, though. So uh, I feel like our, our dub boy uh, had an exception made for him to get him on the stage yesterday, too. Yes. So for people who don't know who what the E.J. McGuire Award of Excellence is, is it is an award that is given to a draft prospect who best represents a commitment to excellence. Uh, and yeah, Connor Bedard, another award uh added to his resume um i it's i i've never heard of the award i'll be honest uh i've never i like you i've never seen it given out before but it did give us an opportunity to see connor bedard put on a cowboy hat which is always a uh, uh a great chance to see these prospects open up a little bit uh more on the in, on the full nhl stage 
Yeah. And once again, with the spotlight shining as brightly as it was on him on Monday night, I felt like he handled himself really well on the panel with uh, with Paul Bissonnette, who you never know what he's going to say, along with Liam McHugh and uh, and and Elliot Friedman. So uh, Bedard continues to impress me with his poise. And uh, and I saw the uh, the drop on Tuesday morning as well, that he's now an official ambassador for Lululemon. So uh, I can't even begin to imagine how many sponsorships his uh, his team has lined up that are going to roll out in these next few days and uh, and good on him like he's only going to get an entry-level contract for the next three years no matter what so uh, um, he, he might end up being the player who sort of breaks the mold in terms of uh, in terms of the, uh, the the money that he can make early on in his NHL career and uh, I'm, I'm really happy for him on that um, we had a couple other WHL uh, alums who were finalists for awards but uh, but did not end up winning as well yeah, so uh, Lindy Ruff finished second uh, for the Jack Adams, and Stuart Skinner finished uh, just behind Maddie Beniers for the Calder, while uh, Braden Point uh, finished third in Lady Bing voting. There is one more potential award winner. Uh, we'll find out that on draft night, and that is Medicine Hat Tiger alum Jim Dill, uh, who is nominated for the General Manager of the Year Award. And then we have two former WHLers on the All-Star team, so Leon Dreisaitl, who played uh, for Prince Albert and... Uh, Kelowna, he was on the NHL second all-star team while Stuart Skinner was named to the all-rookie team. And uh, now that the votes have been made public, I do want to give my little shout out to Stuart Skinner because I was, even though he got beat pretty handily by Matty Veneers for the Calder, I did have Skinner first on my ballot and I am not moving away from my position that uh, the Oilers might have been in tough to even make the playoffs this year if Skinner hadn't stepped up and gone way above and beyond the 25 or 30 games that he was originally slated to play this year. And uh, if the Oilers hadn't made the playoffs, the Oilers couldn't have been knocked out in the second round and they wouldn't be at the spot that they were at, you know, sort of knocking at the door as uh, neck and neck now with Toronto as, as favorites for the Stanley Cup for next year. So uh, I feel like the Oilers franchise was more Im importantly impacted by Skinner this year than what Veneers did for Seattle, because Seattle would have been really, really good, even if Veneers hadn't been as good as he was. That being said, I did see Veneers make one back check in a Canucks game this season live, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give him the call. So it's not really like a complete slam on Veneers. I just thought that Vene that uh, that Stuart Skinner was just that tiny bit uh, more important. I don't even want to say better. Um, all right, now let's get to the meat of our show. Uh, <laughs> a few minutes in with so much going on. Um, we've got forwards to break down ahead of the draft on Wednesday. And uh, I hear from the powers that be that we're going to try and get this podcast up as soon as possible so that uh, people will have a chance to listen to it before we find they find out how wrong we are in uh, the predictions that we're going to make. And Adam and I have some differing opinions on some of these players as well. So uh, let's dig into that. I think we do both agree, however, that uh, Center Connor Bedard from the Regina Pats might hear his name called first from the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes. Um, so Connor Bedard, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks, arguably, arguably the greatest season by a draft eligible player of all time. And now he's winning awards that we didn't even know existed. <laughs> two, uh, two, two, two weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's honestly like, what more can you say about him? He won CHL Player of the Year, dominated the World Juniors, double IHF Men's Player of the Year. Um, he's, I don't think he's going to be back in the WHL. I think that's a pretty solid uh, prediction. So if this is the end of his WHL career, 271 points in 134 games, 
uh, pretty good, I would say. Uh, <laughs> so when we kind of break down Bedard's game, uh, his best attribute is that he's a magician with the puck. It, it, it just if you watch any of the highlights, um, it, it just he looks like an NHL player playing at the WHL uh, level. Um, one of the questions. Like, really, at this point, the biggest question is, is he going to play center or wing at the NHL level? I know that it's come out that he wants to play center and that, while we don't know what Chicago's plan is just yet because they can't talk about it until they officially draft him, I would assume that if he wants to play center to start his career, they'd say sure. Uh, And then we'll see how that uh, goes over the season. Um, NHL timeline would be yesterday, I guess, Uh, (laughs) at this point. Yeah. yeah, first overall seems like the correct ranking, and uh, it's just now it's just waiting to see, waiting to hear his name, so we can stop pretending like there's any doubt that he's not going first overall. Yeah, I wanted to also uh, draw attention to a, a big read that was on the Sportsnet website on the uh, on the weekend that just included a, a really terrific quote from Connor's youth coach, John Calvano, who met him when he was five. This really spoke to me. He said, uh, what makes Connor dangerous as a hockey player is that he's got the triple threat effect that most players don't have. He can beat you with a perimeter shot, he can beat you with a dangle, and he can beat you with a pass. So for a defender or a goalie, it's very hard to understand or read what his actual decision-making processes, which gives him the upper hand. Um, Also, I guess on Monday, I had a chance to talk to uh, the Regina Pat staff photographer, Keith Hirschmiller, um, who's been taking pictures of Bedard for the last three years, dating all the way back to to the bubble um, and the hub city in Regina in 2021, when he had empty rinks to work with and got to see Bedard for the first time. Um, So he was as effusive about Bedard as everybody else is, and uh, told me some great stories about some of the, the pictures that he really loves that he was able to take. So uh, as soon as we get done recording this, I am going to write that story up, and uh, it should be on the website uh, Tuesday night or probably Wednesday morning at the latest. So uh, some really good, insightful stuff from uh, from Hirschmiller, who's had literally a front row seat to uh, to watching Bedard. And, and uh, you know, he admitted, I asked him how hard it is to pay attention to the other players on the ice when Bedard is there and you're trying to sort of uh, take pictures and he, he conceded that uh, the fact that Bedard barely leaves the ice that his shifts are so long was part of the problem and then the fact that the anticipation of what he might do next makes it a real challenge to uh, you know focus your lens anywhere else so uh, he's got some really great material it was very cool. Um, so probably the second WHLer that we expect to hear his name called on Wednesday uh, and you're super high on uh, Zach Benson from the Winnipeg Ice. Yeah, so um, he is six on NHL Central Scouting North Americans list uh, heading into the draft. So he did get a little bump up from seventh. So that's always uh, nice to see. Um, helped Winnipeg to their second consecutive Eastern Conference final this season and was named to the CHL's third all-star team after posting 98 points in 60 games. And just a little side note, uh, not really on ice related, but definitely has one of the best uh, hairstyles in this draft with uh, the mullet. Um, We got to see it up close at the uh, top prospects game. And he talked a little bit about it at that point. Uh, So it seems like maybe that's a little bit of his superpower uh, Mm -hmm. going forward. Um, So his best attribute is that he can not only contribute in the offensive zone, but he's really solid in his own uh, defensive zone. So he's one of the best two way forwards, despite being a winger, uh, which makes him, one of the most complete players as well in this draft. Um, the biggest concern, though, is his, uh, is his size. So at the combine, he came in at 5'9", 170 pounds. 
And we've talked about this for a long time. It's very known in the hockey community. Some teams just don't like smaller players. So it could knock him down a little bit when it comes to the draft. Um, now, this is a player that depending on what team he goes to, he could make uh, it out. Uh, he could be one of the one of a candidate to do a trial at the NHL uh, level. But I would suspect that he ends up at the WHL uh, next season with Wenatchee just to continue his development, especially because he did have that uh, injury uh, late on late in the year. Um, I personally think that he should be a little bit higher on the central scouting. I think that he's the best North American winger in this draft. Uh, and when we're kind of looking at predictions, a spot that I really like him at is Arizona. Um, so a top 10 pick going to the Arizona Coyotes, and that way they can team him up with uh, Connor Geeky, who was their first round selection last year. And having a line of Geeky, Benson, and Dylan Gunther would just make me very happy uh, uh, moving forward <laughs> even if it is for arizona that would be a very 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 uh, big whl uh component to see what happens there um i did notice that benson had uh, had trimmed the mullet back a bit by the time he got to his interviews at the uh at the scouting combine so i guess that was like a mark of respect for all the uh, all the grown-ups that he was going to have to talk to about his best attributes and that sort of thing um my favorite thing about benson is the fact that uh, when bedard has talked to me about playing against benson he has said that it's a real pain and that Benson is, uh, is a very annoying uh, opponent. So um, if that's the kind of tenacity that he can bring against a guy like Conor Bedard, then that bodes very well for whichever team ends up picking him in this draft. I am a little bit more of a skeptic than you about his draft position though. I think that the winger factor is going to be an issue. Um, even though elite prospects does have him at six on their consolidated ranking and uh, there's only Craig Button is the only guy who has him outside the top 10. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, Bob, Bob McKenzie's list is known for its accuracy because it's a poll of scouts and uh, he's got him at number nine, but mckenzie has been really, really adamant that a lot could change this year. So um, if you're taking uh, Zach Benson at number six to Arizona, I will take the, what I believe is the over on that. I still don't really understand how the over under works on draft picks, but I am trying to say that I think he'll go later. Next. Nate Danielson from Brandon. So yes, Nate Danielson uh, ranked seventh, bumped up from 13th at the midterm mark. Um, some of his accomplishments this year was that he was named co-captain of the Wee Kings alongside uh, Nolan Ritchie, which for uh, draft eligible players doesn't happen that often at the WHL level. Uh, selected to the WHL East Division second all-star team and a little bit of combine um Looking back at the combine, he uh, did really well in the jumping tests. He was in the top 10 in four different uh, versions of those tests. So uh, I don't know how that exactly translates to the ice, but this is a guy who, I, I guess because he's bigger and taller, uh, it does help a little bit with uh, how far he can jump up and uh, lengthwise. So when we look at the overall game, his biggest strength is the ability to be a two-way center. Um, one of the areas concerned is that he's one of the players that he's not super exciting when we compare him to everybody else, but he's really reliable. So while a lot of players have really high ceilings, he has a really high floor. So can he become more than just a middle six center is really the question that we'll look at um, in the future. Uh, so when we look at kind of a timeline, this is a player who 
at his 20-year-old season should be starting to make the NHL. So we're looking at two years from now. Uh, ranking is where it should be, and uh, we're looking at a top 15 pick at the draft, and I've seen some of the betting sites go around. I've seen 7.5, 8.5, so there's a lot of people who think that he's going in the top 10. And yeah, Elite Prospects has him at 15 on their consolidated ranking. Bob McKenzie has him at 16. Um, I, I, I've said this before with that, as you mentioned, with all the high-end talent in this draft, I'm not sure that Danielson's reliable game is going to be dazzling enough to get him into the top half of the first round. But the fact that he's a big center, and I think he's a righty, um, you know, makes him a very, very desirable commodity. He's, uh, he's, you know, one of the premium position guys. And uh, I know that you've talked about him being a, a potential good fit for Vancouver at number 11. And uh, it, it, that, it does make sense to me. I'm not sure I love it, but it does make sense to me. That would probably be my default setting of what I expect the Canucks to do if they end up picking, keeping that pick. Yeah, he is like, when you think of Rick Tockett, and the type of player that Rick Tockett wants, he is the exact type of player that Rick Tockett wants, which is why I think that uh, Vancouver is going to take a swing at him at 11. Yeah, I, I will not dispute you on that one. Um, now let's move on to uh, to Samuel Hanzek from the Vancouver Giants, one of the players that you've seen as much as anybody this year, both in terms of you seeing him as much as anybody and you seeing him more than most of the, the uh, observers who uh, who chart these things. Yeah, so um, we're going forward uh, on the prospects uh, so that we can highlight somebody uh, other than Connor Bedard. Uh, so he, according to NHL Central Scouting, he is a left winger. Um, there is some talk about whether or not he can play center. Uh, he is a left winger. He played left wing at the at the WHL level. So um, ranked ninth among NHL uh, Central Scouting. Um, he stayed exactly where he was. So ninth throughout the whole uh, season made a really good impression during his first year in the WHL after coming over uh, from Slovakia was the BC division nominee for rookie of the year and represented Slovakia for the second straight season at the world juniors. Um, best attribute is his commitment to uh, his defensive play. So he is a true two way player, but he's just super dynamic at the offensive zone that a lot of people don't pay attention to his defensive zone con uh, contributions. Uh, and the biggest question is that he needs to be more consistent within games. So there are times where he for, it, it's almost like he forgets that he's the best player on the ice. Uh, so what it, he needs to kind of remember that because he can turn a game on his head within a shift. But there are there are too many times where it's like he'll be great for you know five minutes and then there will be a ten minute stretch where it's kind of lull and in five minutes. So getting up to that, but consistency but that also has to do with he's still getting used to the whl so um there was a great interview that he did with mark masters of tsn as well um so i would recommend uh checking that out i think the rating's correct i know that a lot of people have him lower uh but we'll see what happens should be a 20 uh top 20 pick and if we're looking at a timeline for when he would be ready uh next two seasons so i think he'll return to the whl next year go on to the AHL maybe, and then NHL from there. So not much more time to see Samuel Hanzik at the NHL level. 
to the WHO. WHO. Yes. Yes. I get what you're saying. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens with Hanzik. I kind of have a feeling that he might be one of those guys that uh, surprises everybody by being a, a sleeper pick who goes higher, closer to that ninth overall ranking. I feel like the time that he missed with his injury this year um, kind of put him into the onto the back burner of some of the scouts and some of the people who watch. Um, but he has come back fully healed from that skate cut that he ha- that he suffered at World Juniors. And I suppose if there's any sort of a silver lining, it was the fact that he was injured at World Juniors means that everybody knows that. It didn't just happen in some quiet little uh, WHL game where there was only a couple thousand people in the rink or whatever. Like the Hansek's cut was heard around the hockey world, so to speak. Um, and uh, as far as his recoveries go, he did great, um, came back and, and killed it at the combine, placing really, really well in the physical test. So that's a great sign that he's uh, that he's fully recovered and he's back. The fact that his um, transition was so strong this year for the most part in his first year in North America, I think also really bodes well for what kind of a character he is. Even I've heard the Giants talk about how much they like him and uh, how impressed they were with his assimilation this year. So I think that's another really good sign for what uh, what teams will be getting. Um, Maybe it's just that surprise factor, but I keep thinking that Detroit might be a team that would be interested in a guy like him um, and maybe take him at a spot where others are not necessarily expecting. And they're a little bit small up front too. So I think his size could be something that uh, that appeals to them to sort of balance out their forward group now that Tyler Bertuzzi is not there anymore. So uh, um, if it does end up being that 17th pick that they got from the Islanders in the, uh, in the Philip Ronick deal, um, that would be a spot where I wouldn't be surprised to see him go, but I also think there's a chance that he might go higher, but maybe that's just me thinking with my heart instead of my head. So uh, we'll see. That's the whole point of the draft. Um, now you wanted to highlight a, uh, a sleeper from the Tri-City Americans, uh, right winger Deegan McMillan. Yeah, so uh, McMillan, a lot of people may not have heard of uh, him or are f- very familiar with him because he wasn't ranked at the midterm mark, but he was 108th on the final list, which is usually a good indication that there are scouts that are paying attention to a player. Um, Jumping from basically not ranked to 108th doesn't happen very often. There's a couple of players that were in that range this year, but usually you'll see players in that 200 or even 150 range. So the fact that he jumped that high is a good sign. Originally a second round pick from Tri-City in uh, 2020, listed at 6'1", 201 pounds, he is a right winger, and uh, he had a massive increase in point totals. So he went from seven points to forty-five, uh, seven points in forty-five games to forty-seven points in sixty-five games this season. So he definitely uh, stepped up in his draft season. He he's a player that knows how to utilize his skills. So he plays kind of a big physical game. He's a player that when Tri City was in Vancouver, and I was able to watch, I didn't really, I wasn't watching for him because he wasn't on that NHL scouting. Uh, ranking, but he was one of those players that definitely stood out and that I, I remember because he was playing that physical game. He was winning puck battles. He was throwing hits. So uh, it's it's interesting to see him now on that list. Um, and it, at this point, it's he needs to you know round out his game, get a little bit better defensively, get a little bit more dynamic offensively, and that's not something that is surprising. So we'll see where his development goes next year. Um, like I said... Jumping to 108th, that is very surprising in my opinion. Um, he's a good, he looks like a decent prospect, but it just 
from not nothing to 108 seems like a, a long jump. And I do have other players that are after him that I think are higher uh, on the projection scale. So if a team wants to take him, that's a long-term project. And uh, if they want to take him, we're kind of looking at that sixth, seventh round uh, type of prospect uh, at the draft. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, as you pointed out when we chatted about this, um, none of the public rankings people got him onto their lists after he got added to the central scouting list. So that doesn't mean that the uh, that the scouts who work in the darkness uh, <laughs> making the list for the NHL teams and making those finalists that determine what really happens, they may know about him, but uh, it seems like the public scouts, he's kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. And as you say, if he gets drafted at all, that'll be, uh, that'll be noteworthy. I like the, uh, I like the obscureness of that choice. Um, now the player that you've identified as the faller is a guy who also made a huge impression on both of us at the, uh, at the top prospects game, but uh, he slipped down the central scouting rankings in the second half this year. Yes. And that is uh Kaylin uh, Lind. So the brother of Kraken and Coachella Valley firebirds uh, forward Cole Lind, a left winger from Red Deer. So uh, 23rd on the midterm rank and uh, dropped down to 39th on the end on the final rankings. As you said, uh, super impressive of the top prospects game, throwing his weight around, being physical, and actually fought Alex Ferrand of the Sudbury Wolves. Um, he was at that 2015 Brick Invitational that we bring up um, uh, once in a while because of how stacked that tournament ended up being. Uh, he was playing for Saskatchewan Junior Pats. And um, a little bit of an interesting story here that uh, Kevin Woodley of NHL.com pointed out is that he um, was part of a jersey swap with uh, Connor Bedard during that tournament. And Bedard actually mentioned that he still has uh, Lynn's jersey. So, uh, yeah, I wonder how much money somebody would be willing to pay for that uh, 2015 Connor Bedard Brick Invitational jersey. That's hilarious. I hope Kaylin Lind has that nine-year-old Connor Bedard jersey or j jersey from Connor Bedard when he was nine. I guess it was, it was eight years ago, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah that, I hope that's like preserved in mothballs because it will be uh, the ticket to his uh, healthy retirement, uh, even if he does go on to have a good NHL career. Uh, okay, more about Kaylin Lind. Go. So physical game is the name of his game. He loves to get under opponent's skin. He's one of those... Uh, like really annoying players to play against um, area where he has to work on is kind of his overall defensive game. Um, he's a little bit too aggressive sometimes. So that just comes with a little bit more development, a little bit more time in the WHL. Um, his ranking I believe is low and there's a reason for that why his ranking is lower. And that is that he missed two months with, with an upper body injury near the end of the season and also missed part of the playoffs with a, another upper body injury. So I understand why he was dropped in the rankings. There wasn't as much opportunity to see, but I thought that what he was able to accomplish up to that point and at the top prospects game, he shouldn't have dropped as far as he did. Um, we're looking at four to five years away uh, from potentially NHL debut time. And um, when we're looking at the draft, maybe a second, early third round is where he will go. Um, yeah, as you, as you said, I, I give him a lot of credit at the top prospects game at a game that's filled with, all the top prospects, literally from across Canada, the fact that he was able to step out in the third period and take control of that game, playing on the opposite side from the Bedard team and shift all the momentum over to his side and get the win, um, going against the sort of narrative of what we were all expecting. Um, to me, 
that might end up being the highlight of his whole career, but uh, it, it shows a really good sense of occasion and willingness to step up and, uh, and, and literally drag his teammates into the fight. So uh, it certainly created a big buzz in the building when it happened that night. And uh, it'll, you know, even though, as you said, the injury may have sort of slowed him down a little bit in the rankings in the second half. Um, I tend to think as well that uh, that the third round is probably where we're going to see his name called, but he may end up being somebody. So he probably won't uh, surpass Colin's uh, draft ranking, but I do think that Kalen um, has a chance to be a real player and he's somebody that I will continue to keep an eye on uh, going forward. Um, so with that all in mind, Adam, I am going to ask you, how many dub players do you think are going to go in the first round on Wednesday? So... My number is in that four, five to seven rounds. So for sure four, and then we could get up to seven. So the uh, four players that I'm I'm confident will go in the first round are Bedard, Benson, Danielson, and Hanzik, who we talked about. And then the other three that I could see going in the first round are Brendan Yeager, Riley Height, and Andrew Crystal. I've also seen guys like Tanner Mullendike on uh, first round mock drafts. So I'm I'm actually very interested to see where you know friend of the show Tanner Mullendike ends up because. I could see him in the first round, but I'm not going to go as far as saying he's a first rounder at this moment. So not, uh, um, they won't set the record, which is set at 10 for first rounders, but uh, they're going to get uh, close. There's plenty of talent available for sure. Yeah, last year we had six players from the dub selected in the first round, and the top pick was uh, Kevin Korczynski uh, at seventh overall by Chicago. So uh, the the Blackhawks and uh, the WHL have been pretty close friends for the last little while. Um, and you mentioned that uh, that Bedard is also going to be the uh, eighth WHLer, most likely, and first since Ryan Nugent Hopkins in 2011 to uh, go first overall. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting draft. Um, lots of WHL talent going off the board on day two, but plenty going on day one for sure. Uh, and the other draft I wanted to just quickly mention was 2019, which was another recent one that was big for the dub. We had seven first rounders um, in that year, including three in the top seven in Kirby Doc, Bowen Byram, and Dylan Cousins. And uh, so that's four years ago now. And Cousins, of course, is the player who had like the big breakout uh, this past season with Buffalo and signed the big contract accordingly. They grow up so fast, don't they? Um, now, very quickly before we uh, sign off today, I wanted to touch on free agency, uh, which is coming up faster than usual after the draft and will be opening on Saturday. We've got uh, a few WHL players. It's not, not supposed to be a great free agent class, but there are a few significant names from the dub that uh, may be landing in new homes on Saturday or shortly thereafter. Uh, yes, so some of the names to watch would be Matthew Dumba, who played uh, in Red Deer in Portland. Uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, Tristan Jari, goaltender. And uh, we can't go off without mentioning now world championship gold medalist and former Vancouver giant uh, Milan Lucic, who the reports were that they were talking to Vancouver about maybe him coming home uh, to end his career, but that doesn't seem like it's uh, going to pan out in the end. Uh, so, yeah, this is the second time I think that the Canucks are going to end up. Uh, although I, I don't know if it was Lucic who spurned the Canucks more when he uh, signed that big deal with Edmonton, I guess, seven years ago now. Once again, they grow up so fast. Um, hard to believe how quickly time all flies by. So 
I I feel like we'll have a bit of a quieter week on uh, on free, weekend on free agencies on July first, but uh, we will review all of the WHL related signings for you next year, as well as uh, going over how the whole draft turned out, and we can see how close we were and how close we weren't. And uh, we do have a a special guest on top for next week to help us wrap up everything that happened in Nashville and give you the uh, the the bird's eye view of everything that happened. And uh, that will probably be our last episode of the season. And so we'll try and put a bow on everything and send you off into summer in fine style. As always, thank you for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure that you subscribe to the Hockey News on the Dub, brought to you by BetMGM on your favorite podcast platform. To check out past episodes of the show and all the others in the Hockey News podcast family, go to thehockeynews.com slash podcast. Take care, enjoy the draft, and have a great week.